Yeah, thank you for this chance to be, to be together. Thank you for this uh, series we've had to look at uh, some some apologetics and things of uh, knowing, what, knowing what we believe and why we believe and being able to defend our faith. As we just wrap up our series tonight, may we kind of see how all the things we looked at already um, in this series kind of points to tonight as we look at the final part of this. May these kids be challenged in their faith to just to, um, to continue to grow. And they know that if they have questions or doubts that it's this is a safe place for them to be able to just voice those questions and, and doubts and just be able to um, uh, do what they can to try to grow closer to you through this time. Jim, I pray. Amen. All right. So we are, uh, let me find it here. I wasn't ready. That's my fault. I'm, I am a horrible person. I wasn't ready. I am the worst. Thanks, I appreciate it. All right, so again, this is uh, why I believe this is our last um, last night. Well, that everybody's got to turn around and look to see who's here every single time. It's an intruder. All right, so. Tonight, last of our series, Why I Believe. Uh, come on now. Let me, let me work it. Come on, it's not working. All right. Uh, me, how, how would you respond to these, these popular objections about Christianity? Uh, like they say, you're almost an atheist. You believe in one God and, and you disbelieve in all the other gods. I go one God further and don't believe in any gods. Well, there are so many religions in the world. Why do you think that yours is right and all the others are wrong? Or it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere and you're a good person. Those are some questions that people have against Christianity. Um, so tonight, hopefully, we can kind of answer those questions um, before you guys go home and have that kind of worked out. In our last lesson, we examined some powerful arguments for a Creator, I used big words. Remember, we looked at the law of thermodynamics. It took Maddox a while to understand infinite regress, but he got there eventually, I think. I had just experienced the trauma at my school. That was not last week. What? Was that just last week? I think so, yeah. No. All right. But many religions claim that their God created all things. So why should we think that ours is the right God? And that's the focus of our final lesson uh, in this series. Um, our first uh, lesson was on the his historicity of the, of the resurrection of Jesus, right? This is this will launch the Christian religion and is the source of our faith. When Jesus rose from the dead, it vindicated his claims to be the Son of God. So why should we believe Christianity is the, the one true religion? Because Jesus said so, right? I mean, that's a cop-out answer. But you know, he, he is a sinless, prophecy-fulfilling, miracle-working Son of God. All of their saviors, if you want to call them that, are still in the grave. But Jesus conquered death, and of all the people who've ever lived, Jesus uniquely has the credentials to claim to know 
how to get to heaven. Because what does he say in John 14, 6? He said, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He also says this in Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus is the ultimate reason that we know Christianity is the one true religion. Sincerity is not enough. You can be sincerely wrong and you can be insincerely right. Motives, of course, are important, but the truth is more important. Okay? It's, that's not a real word, but it's more important. We don't merely believe in one more God than atheists believe in, or don't believe in. I guess you do have to have faith to be an atheist. But we also aren't randomly choosing which God we believe in. Like, we're not just looking at different gods that are out there in this created world and, like, point, I want that one. No, we have good reason to think that Christianity is true. However, Christianity is more than just a set of beliefs. Christianity, of course, is a comprehensive view of all reality. Well, that is, that, that's, that's a worldview. This worldview is a system of beliefs about the world, uh, about what the world is and how the world works. Everybody has a worldview. Even if you've never really thought about it a whole lot, you have some sort of a worldview. Uh, for example, an atheistic worldview such as naturalism holds that matter is all that there is. You humans are just a blind result, or the result of blind evolutionary processes and nothing beyond that. When we die, it's all over, we just become worm food, and this life was meaningless. If you, if you really believe that this life is all that there is, would that shape how you live? Like, would you care what you did? Like, if you knew that there was nothing beyond this and it didn't matter after you died how you live, would you live differently? Like, I would probably beat some people up that I probably said, they make me mad and I'll just kind of internalize it. Maybe I'd punch them in the throat or something, maybe a couple times. Right? We would probably act a little different, probably think a little differently or be a little different if, if there was nothing after this life, if we believe that. But a worldview offers answers to four basic questions about reality. How did we get here? Who or what are we? How should we live? And what happens when we die? So we'll take some time to think about different ways people can answer these questions, whether it's from a Christian perspective, a Christian worldview, or from a different kind of, of worldview. So we're going to see how Christianity best explains these four questions. We're going to go through each one of these questions one at a time, if you guys take notes, I encourage you guys to take some notes. So how did we get here? This was kind of the, 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 uh, the topic of our previous lesson last week about creation. Right? The Bible starts with, with how the world and everything in it came to exist. Because what is Genesis 1-1? Come on. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look at you Bible drillers. Oh, that's so good. We explored how the beginning of the universe points to a beginner. We saw the fine-tuning of the universe points to a fine-tuner. And lastly, we saw the information in DNA points to an author of life. Christianity offers the best explanation of why human beings and the entire universe are here. So what this means, as we will see next, that the world and everything in it is the purposeful creation of a loving God. The second question I want to go is, who or what are we? 
Different worldviews offer different accounts on what it means to be human. According to Karl Marx, human beings are economic beings driven by the need for economic equality. According to Sigmund Freud, humans are sexual beings driven by urges and desires. According to Darwin, human beings are evolved animals fighting for survival. And according to modern consumer culture, humans find their value and significance in the clothes they wear, the cars they drive, and how much they consume. But the Bible has a different view of what it means to be human. The Bible says human beings are special. And while all creation is good, human beings are uniquely made in the image of God, right? That's Genesis 1.27. And so to be created in God's image means we reflect His character in some fashion. Because bearing God's image, that's what makes you and I, makes every human immensely valuable. That's what gives us our value being made in His image. Regardless of ethnicity or gender or religion or age or social status or any other secondary factor, the fact that we are made in His image gives each one of us value. The Christian worldview makes sense of why every person deserves love and compassion and dignity and respect simply because he or she is a member of the human race and is made in the image of God. No one is more valuable than any other person. Either they are smarter, stronger, more beautiful like myself, or wealthier, or whatever it may be, nobody is more valuable than somebody else. But even though human beings have infinite dignity and value and worth, you and I, we also inherit a sinful nature tracing all the way back to Adam and Eve. David, in Psalm 51, says that he was sinful from the moment of conception. Jesus said in Mark 7, that it's out of the heart from within that comes evil thoughts. Human beings are made in God's image and have limitless value, yet we're born with a broken nature and a tendency to sin. Also, finally, God created us with, with a body and a soul. We're not just meat machines who exist merely to propagate our genes and then to die and, and become worm food. We have a spiritual self that survives the death of this physical body. And ultimately, in the new heaven and new earth, we will live in resurrected bodies completely free from the death and decay of this present world. Then the third question, how should we live? How should we live? This is perhaps maybe the biggest question of all. Is there an ultimate meaning to life? Or can we just kind of live how we want to? Can we live our truth? I hate that statement. How should we live? John 17.3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Christianity offers a clear meaning of life to know God and to glorify Him. This is, this is what we're here for. An atheist may certainly find meaningful things to do in life, but these meanings are only temporary, lacking ultimate purpose. Christianity offers meaning in this life and in the next. And Christianity also provides a true and binding moral system. God Himself is the source of goodness, and His commands instruct us how to live. Romans 2, 14-15 tells us that God printed His moral code on everyone's hearts. 
even if people don't believe in God, they still have an innate understanding of what is right and what is wrong. Thus, atheists can act morally, but atheism itself cannot offer any kind of objective basis for moral values or objective purpose for how we should live. But Christianity offers both a meaning to life and a guideline on how to best treat other people. Now, last question from the beginning. What happens when we die? As mentioned a few moments ago, we, we, since we have a soul, we will survive our physical death and we someday inhabit resurrected bodies. We will not simply be worm food or become one with the universe or whatever you want, people call it, what they, what they do. But those who trust in Christ will live with Him forever in, in heaven and those who reject God will spend an eternity separated from Him. And Christianity promises that this life is not the end and that all our actions have true meaning and eternal consequences. So as you can see, Christianity answers the biggest questions humans have about life and reality. Of course, we can go a whole lot deeper in those questions than we, we did, of course. We can spend a night on each one of those questions. But that doesn't mean the worldview doesn't face challenges. One of the biggest objections people have to Christianity, and you may have this as well, is the problem of evil and suffering. That we live in a world that's just full of evil and suffering. There are illnesses, natural disasters, terrorist attacks, school shootings, the list goes on and on with just how bad and evil this world is. So have you ever wondered if, if there really is a God, a loving God, why does he allow all this to happen? Has anybody ever asked, wondered that before? It's okay to raise your hand. You're in church. It's okay to be honest. That's a good question, right? God is God's not afraid of your questions. If you have a question like that, which is a pretty big question, hopefully, hopefully you understand this is a place you guys can ask those questions and feel safe. And now, like, I'm not going to kick you out of the church. You guys can't come back here ever again. No, I'm not going to do that. This is a place where you guys can ask those questions because together we can maybe try to find some of the answers. Now, there it really is a God who is perfectly good and perfectly loving, why does he allow so much evil? So again, this could be probably a series in itself. So we're not going to get into it too much. Hopefully I can get you guys um, a sufficient enough answer, at least for tonight. So first we're going to go back to the very beginning of, of how pain and suffering first entered into this world. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, right? We know this by eating of the tree that God forbade, it's not an apple, probably banana, because those are disgusting, which created a rift between mankind and God, right? We know this story, right? We know that, you know what we're doing? Yeah, we know that, what Doug does on Sunday mornings. I'm kind of sharing the gospel, thinking about doing that on Sunday. Not really. I don't even watch the video and get mad at me. Um, but we know what happened, right? So because of this, uh, this eating of this forbidden fruit that we don't know what it was, there's only, say, an apple because Jerome, when he translated the Bible into Latin, said it was an apple. We don't know. Because of that, that sin, it created a rift between us and God, right? So the result is disease and famine and a world groaning for redemption. That's from Romans chapter 8. Because we were placed under that curse that we find in Genesis chapter 3. So as unpleasant as it is, the Christian worldview has an explanation for the origin of evil and suffering. It wasn't God who brought that into the world, it was us. But while this may explain natural evil... What about the evil that, that just humans do? How can God allow us to hurt each other? 
so badly? Now this raises many additional questions. Essentially the answer lies in the kind of beings God made us to be. Morally free creatures that who could act significantly. We can choose how we're going to live our life. We have a choice to make each and every day of how we're going to live. We can choose to obey God, or we can choose to disobey God. And when we disobey God, we hurt others and ourselves. But God cannot give us free will and guarantee that we will always choose to do good. God made us free creatures, and sadly, we often choose evil. However, the irony is that evil is not an argument against God's existence, but actually an argument for it. So we're going to look at the moral argument for God's existence kind of a thing. Last week we talked about a logical syllogism. You guys remember what that is? That's a big word. Logical syllogism. Anybody remember what that is? The one I used last week? What was it? I don't remember the definition. I just remember the word. Well, okay. You remember hearing me say the word? Yes. So logical syllogism, what that is? Gosh, Maddox. Anyways, a logical syllogism is, is something that, that you say, you have a statement, and it flows to the next, the next. Remember last week I said, man is mortal, right? Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. There you go. That's what a, logic, that's what a logical syllogism is. I know last week I threw a lot of really big words at you guys. So we're going to get another one. Um, for, for tonight. If there is no God, this is number one, if there is no God, there is no objective good and evil. You get to kind of understand that? If there's no God, there is no objective good and evil. But objective good and evil, they do exist. That's something we know. Number three, therefore God exists. So we're going to go back that first one. If there's no God, there's no objective good and evil. Alright, so first off, what does the word objective mean? You guys tell me while well, I take a drink of water. For something to be objective, it means that it's a true fact about reality regardless of your or my opinion. So if I said the sky is blue, that's a statement about the sky. That's not my opinion about it, right? That's an, ob an objective claim. It would be true even if somebody said it was pink or colorblind like your dad. It would still be true. It's still blue regardless of what they say. If I said that murder is wrong, I'm not saying that I don't like murder. I mean it's really wrong in itself. Like saying that 2 plus 2 equals 5 is wrong. Cutter. Two plus two is not five. Okay. Even somebody might disagree with me and try to claim that two plus two is five. But now the opposite of objective is subjective. And the subjective statement is someone's personal view, their opinion. If I said Snickers is the best candy in the world, that is subjective because I heard that. It's my opinion. Right? You might say Reese's or Kit Kat or something else is your favorite candy. Mason, what's your favorite candy? Uh, oh, so he would agree with me. Not everybody would agree with me. That's fine. M&M's? Yeah. Peanut M's? I like peanut M's. 
All right, so that's the subject of statement. It's my opinion, mine and Mason's opinion that Snickers is better than peanut M&M's. It's, again, subjective, not objective. And so if morality is objective, then it's real and binding on everyone throughout all time. And if there's an objective moral law, then there must be a moral law giver. God is the ultimate grounding of good and evil. So whatever aligns with his holy nature and the commands that he gives is good. What goes against it is evil. But if there is no God, then there cannot be an ultimate standard of morality. Russian novelist Fyodor, I don't know how you say his first name, Dostoevsky famously said, if there is no God, all is permissible. Right? And then they come out with the Purge movies, because it's the same thing, right? If all is, if there is no God, all is permissible. Right and wrong would be up to us to choose to live our truth. That is, again, that's a stupid phrase. To call something evil is simply a preference, like disliking a Snickers. If murder were subjective, it could be right in one culture, but wrong in another. So it has to be an object of truth. And so we know that objective good and evil do exist. You know, right? we all know better, right? We know that it's really good to love others, and it's really wrong to purposefully hurt people. Like, we know that's like a general truth that this world knows. We know that we ought to keep our promises, and we know that the Holocaust and slave trade were truly evil, and even if the, the people perpetrating them thought they were doing good things. To claim that rape is okay is just as wrong as saying 2 plus 2 equals 5, because objectively, those things are wrong. Deep down, every human being knows that certain actions are really right or wrong, regardless of what they may say or, or how they may live. This leads to our conclusion, number three, therefore God exists. If morality is really real, if there is an objective code of right and wrong binding on all people across all time, then God must exist. This puts the person complaining about evil in a bind. After all, if there is no God, then there is no such thing as good or evil. And if there is no evil, real evil in the world, then, then what is he or she complaining about? Ironically, every, every time a skeptic says there's too much evil in the world, he's actually just affirming the existence of God because there is an objective morality of good and evil. So here's the solution. The most important point of all, I want to make sure you guys are paying attention. Not only does Christianity offer the best explanation for the existence of evil and suffering, it also offers the best solution. Right? Because God sent His Son, Jesus, to suffer and die to pay the penalty for our sins. Anyone who places their trust in Him will live forever with Him in paradise, where there will be no more pain or suffering. But simply put, Christianity is the worldview that best matches reality. It makes sense of life and meaning and morality and pain and suffering. It tells us how we got here and where we're going. There's another important component to a worldview we haven't mentioned yet. A worldview requires commitment. Your worldview will shape how you live your life, even if you don't realize it. If you believe humans are just mere animals and they hold no special value, how do you think you're going to treat other people? But if you think human beings are immensely valuable, then you must treat them that way. They are made in the image of God. Over these last four weeks, we've examined some powerful 
reasons to believe that Christianity is true. If you're not a follower of Christ, we hope you will take the next step and commit your life to Jesus before you go home. And if you are a Christian, we hope that what you've learned will give you a greater confidence in your beliefs. Hopefully it's increased your faith. We'll encourage you to share the gospel with greater clarity and urgency to your lost friends. And I'm going to ask uh, McKenna and Mask come up here and get ready. You ready, girl? Good, yeah. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll sing a couple songs and go to our, uh, our small groups. God, again, just thank you for this, this chance just to, to dig into your word and see that you are um, that you are truth, that, uh, that you are that loving God, that even though the things in this world, um, there's evil and suffering in this world, God, that you are still a good and loving God. You have uh, put in each one of us the sense of right and wrong. May we um, believe that, may we hold that to be true. God, may we have confidence to share what we've learned in this series with friends, with those who don't know you. May we just be ready to tell people um, about the hope that we have in you and in you alone. Okay, my prayer. Amen.